Hey, how are you? This is Lizzie here to say that the following episode on identity is actually the third of three episodes on this topic. Hannah and I recorded them all at once as one long conversation, but we made the call that it was too much to share as one episode, so we split it up into three. If you haven't listened to the first and second identity instalments, then definitely go do that before getting stuck into this one. The first identity episode is dated the 18th of January, and the second, the 1st of February, 2022. Enjoy. Often people are so committed to being part of a group that actually it's really less to do with basic fundamentals that your ideas are based on and much more to do with how much you want to be part of that part of that tribe. Hey, we're Eggshells, the podcast exploring disagreement and how to do it better. We ask how we can make difficult conversations easier to have by exploring solutions to the challenges we all face when having them. Right, look, we are going to take this idea of creating your identity rather than having a superficial representation of your identity. And we're going to reapply it to identity politics. Okay. Basically to see how the interplay between how we define ourselves and how we are defined or how we might be generally defined within identity politics, like how that might be problematic, not just for society as a whole, but for us as individuals, like how it might be actually problematic within our lives. Mm-hmm. And she'll explain it better. Okay. With these loosely defined groups, which aren't groups at all, but individuals who describe themselves in a certain way, and how they, whatever, you know, I might call myself, I don't know, short, and somebody else might also call themselves short. But when I say short, I mean something very different to what Roxy would say, for example. It's because it's so nebulous, these terms. Actually, the only thing you can do is act in really extreme ways because that's all you have in common, really. And it's the defence mechanism or that tribal thing of protecting yourselves. That sense of belonging, isn't it? Especially as we're all so disparate and the internet has somehow divided us and brought us closer together. It feels like being able to be part of something, even if you don't fully understand or subscribe exactly to what it is you're being part of. Yeah, it seems very valuable. I think that's also what causes these kind of dangerous movements like incels, you know, because so many of those people just exist on the internet and become really extreme right wing, which is fine. But, you know, the whole thing is involuntary celibate men. They feel lost and they join this group, which they probably have no true desire to be part of but then they sort of get sucked up into it and actually you know it fashionizes people in a way that it shouldn't you know that destroys lives of the people within the group as well as those outside of it you know we don't often talk about that but it's mm-hmm. it's unhealthy for everyone in that sense this giving into tribalism actually not really questioning why you're doing it Yeah, I agree with all of that. <laughs> She's really wise. We could just have a podcast talking about how wise and she is. Shall we? <laughs> but I mean, yeah, giving into tribalism without really questioning why you're doing it. 
essentially, I think she's advocating for a critical analysis yeah. of what you identify with or as. So if she's saying that she says that she's short, she's just saying that her definition of short might be different from someone else's definition of short. And that therefore, if they get together as the short people, that might cause some problems when they try and go ride a roller coaster where yeah. height matters. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so, blow, so blowing that further up, basically, I think she's making two points. One is that if you don't critically assess the identity that you subscribe to because you are very keen to have a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. then you're going to get yourself into hot water yeah. quite quickly. And I think that this is a point that people who have maybe have a problem with the term identity politics would make just people just jumping on bandwagons without really knowing what they're talking about. Yeah. And it's important that we don't do that. Yeah. And the, the second point that she makes is about, she talks about incels and the idea that you might be, it, it's a sort of extension of that first point is that you just might become a part of a group that you're not even sure you want to be a part of. And unless you do that critical thinking about your value sets and what you actually want, what aspects of an identity, or how, like why you're identifying with that thing, yeah. what good that is doing in your life, yeah, then it does, you know, potentially does have the um, ability to be dangerous or get you into situations that you yeah. hadn't necessarily bargained on. And it's also okay to change, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's okay to try out. I am going to rephrase try out. <laughs> It's okay to make mistakes. Yes. And it's okay to think that you think something and then do some work and realize you think a different thing. Yeah. And then it's okay to change your mind. That's what I want to say. I don't want to say try out identities like they are items of clothing. Yes. (laughs) Today, I'm going to be this identity. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very disrespectful. And not what I meant at all. I meant no, that it's not. okay to change your mind. Yes. And you should have the freedom to change your mind. One should have the freedom to change one's mind. All right. Speaking of changing minds, Nushi is now going to give us two examples. We'll have a tea break after each one where she's going to discuss how identity politics is playing out with a couple different groups. Okay. Historically, up until maybe two or three years ago, if you were a fat woman, you were meant to be invisible. You were meant to be ashamed of how you looked. You were meant to hide yourself in baggy clothes or whatever, whatever. Also, that's the other thing of where does this idea that we have other people come from? And that idea obviously came from the fact that historically and even now, of course, women are commoditized. Our bodies are commoditized. We are a product. We're not human beings in the same way that men are. And obviously this feeds into gender inequalities and all these different things. So as a fat woman in society, people were always sidelined, you know, up until again, a few years ago, the Daily Mail inverted commas sidebar of shame. All it did was pick apart and ridicule women of whatever size you know you could be a size six you'd still be called obese or fat or chunky or whatever it was and we had this whole vocabulary of words um that we were all completely happy to use to sort of 
to insult this group and we were all terrified of ever falling into it you know because partly with media propagation but also those things feed into the way we see those groups and I think we've seen with body positivity tons of larger women who now are proud of who they are or present this idea of owning your body your body is a is something that's healthy it serves you it operates it's not about your size for a lot of people it's been extremely empowering and so you know fat people who are were supposed to be silenced and hide away actually now you know influences everywhere and yeah so but at the same time though I'm saying this and I'm saying it as though this is a celebratory end goal which means that equality has been achieved and obviously that's not the case right so you have a huge obesity crisis you have rising eating disorders all those things exist in tandem and so I think it's important when we say about groups that don't in that sense fulfill our expectations that we also understand that they provide a new channel for expression they don't solve a problem Nice. I just want to jump in and say about body positivity. Mm-hmm. I am woefully uninformed in this area. I would look forward to being called out. Um, but I have a sense that the term body positivity in of itself, whilst its intentions are positive, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is problematic. And my limited understanding of that is about it being to do with having to cultivate resilience in the face of an enormous amount of material that seeks to shame. Yeah. And then having to cultivate resilience in response to that material and then therefore celebrating oneself or one's uh, peers or fellow human beings in response to the thing that is shaming us in the first place. Yeah. I think there is a different term, but I don't know it. And I'm sure it's more to do with acceptance of body. Yes. Less of a feeling of having to be like a fuck you to the shame and the shaming. Yeah. More of a feeling of having it be like, this is my body and that's cool. Yeah. Like genuinely cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Just as it is. Yeah. It's enough. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what did you think of what Anisha was saying? Well, yeah, I mean, essentially what she's saying is all of, like, it's so cool and amazing that, like, the in the particular example that she uses, that people are not hiding the shadows anymore, and that's wonderful, and that is a sign of change. But that doesn't mean the problem has gone away, and it's like, oh, okay, like, fat shaming's not an issue anymore. This is it. I think that that's a really good point, and I think it's a really important point, and it's really useful because... If in the context of a disagreement, someone says to you, oh, well, Lizzo's wearing her underwear on Instagram and she is getting millions of likes, that means that we aren't shaming fat people anymore. You can point out that that doesn't mean that at all. It, It just means that Lizzo as an individual is being brave enough to put herself out there in a society that is hostile to her type of body yeah absolutely so it speaks volumes about her as an individual it does not speak volumes about our society no so yeah we can't get out of that one no we can't (laughs) now she's going to reference a group who in quite a practical sense 
are moving towards equity, but it doesn't appear to be having the positive impact that one would hope. Let's have a listen. When I was studying, my specialism was looking at women's rights in India and creating new ways of looking at how the way we understand women impacts their actual quality of life. And so one thing that I found was that if you look at Kerala in India, so this state in India is often used or heralded as a sort of normative model of development for women. And that's because it's transformed across the last 60 years in the sense that they have higher levels of literacy, higher levels of education, they have much higher participation in the labour force. And in those senses, they must be empowered. And so this model of development, specifically gendered female development, has now been replicated in tons of countries around the world as a way to lift women out of, to give women opportunities. But if you look at the actual real, if you use other stats to understand how that has impacted the way they see themselves, you see huge skyrocketing suicide rates amongst these women. You see masses of domestic violence amongst these women as the men in their societies, their positions become more unstable and that's the backlash. I guess that thing would be when women we assume must be empowered and educated and so on and so on and so on, actually from exactly the same models that are trying to lift them up, do the opposite. And the interesting thing, which I guess, between those two examples yeah. is one is completely agency driven. So body positivity is a choice. It's a choice that people have made to represent themselves in a way that is dissonant with the norms of, of the way we interact. And the other isn't. And so I think both of those things do exist. Some parts of your identity are power over, some you don't. And yet, it doesn't matter whether you've chosen to represent yourself in the way or haven't, we still will use those markers to identify you. Let's talk about what she says at the end there about the idea that some things we have control over and some things we don't. Yeah. So, so we can choose to represent ourselves in a certain way. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes those ways are chosen for us mm-hmm. and that becomes an integral part of our existence, often depending on how much privilege we have in the society we exist in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as she goes on to say, sometimes the things that we choose don't actually change that much yeah sadly yeah because really society needs to catch up yeah and I think both of those examples I guess they're kind of they're different examples but can be used in the same way where people could go oh but look at Kerala they've solved all their inequality problems because look at the women over there look at how their literacy rates have soared and Mm. oh more women are working without looking at what is actually going on what are the very real effects on these women's lives and sort of not really understand that inequality isn't just something that can be fixed by one uh, lens lens this is it that's exactly that's exactly relating to the point that we were making way a hundred thousand years ago you know about if you treat a problem from say a purely economic standpoint was the example we mm. gave you're not taking into account the sociocultural identities of the people who are functioning within the system mm-hmm. that you're purporting to create or you're trying to create. So in the Kerala example, you might be offering women on paper, mm. quote unquote, opportunities, 
but you are not changing the minds of the men that they interact with. Yep. So Nushi's saying not only does that not enhance their actual existence, it takes yeah. away from it, it makes it worse. It makes worse, yeah. Now, I just did like a a very superficial <laughs> level of research um, okay. about this. I, I didn't find anything that specifically backed up about suicide rates or rates of domestic violence. I did find an article from 2014 that says in Kerala, the female work participation rate at that time was 25.6%, okay. uh, whereas the male work participation rate was 51.7%. So that's almost double. Yep. So that would have been after the time that Nushi was studying. Yeah. That's one thing. I also found another article. This was from 2020. Excellent. Um, that says that the members of the Kundambashri, which is the name of the women-oriented, community-based state poverty eradication mission of government of Kerala. That's a mouthful <laughs> for you. It says that the majority of its members are housewives. Cool. And further... I found a translation of Kundambashri to English. It translates as prosperity, Shri, of the family, Kundambam. Prosperity of the family is the name of this women-oriented female empowerment movement that is making such waves, apparently, in Kerala. Okay. I mean, they might be making an ironic statement. They might be making a proud statement. I am not here to cast aspersions on the intentions of that statement. I'm just telling you what it means. So what you're saying about people who are like, oh, look, just look at how much progress is being made. I would just be aware of that without knowing how far there still is to go. Yeah. I wonder if there would be, I mean, I hope there wouldn't be a men-orientated empowerment movement in the first place in Kerala. But if there was, I wonder if it would be called prosperity of the family. Just a question. Just a question. But yeah, I think I'm not going to go off on too much of a tangent because we've got a lot to get through <laughs> still. But so I think, sorry. you know, you, you, can, your tea. you can apply this to other things. I'm sure there are people out there who probably would argue, well, you know, in South Africa and apartheid and apartheid doesn't exist anymore. So everyone's free. But actually the lives of black South Africans isn't necessarily I would argue it's I have visited and there seems to be it's still a huge divide in terms of prosperity yeah you're right you're absolutely right in that this isolated example ricochets out to apply to a wide variety of international examples so it is worth doing the research in preparation for any conversation Mm -hmm. whether you feel that's an identity group is fairly or unfairly advocating for their own liberation. Yeah. Think about what you mean. Think about, are you in support of equity for that identity group? And if you are, have they achieved equity in any measurable area or in ideally all (laughs) measurable areas, (laughs) as that's what equity means? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You just have to understand what progress means. Yeah. No. It's not just signing a piece of paper and making a But it also but yeah. It, it, yeah, it's not just signing a piece of paper, but it's also like where did you start and where are you now? 
might be this massive journey, might be a huge journey. And another identity group might have started in a place and, and be in a different place. And that might be in measurable terms, a less obviously large journey mm-hmm. in whatever way. But that doesn't mean that that group who's made the larger journey is now in front of inverted commas or even equal to a group that has made a short you know, do you see what I mean yeah, like there's yeah. no you can't say oh look at all this progress has been made more progress well, yes more progress might have been made but that's because they might have started or we might have started or whoever whatever identity group might have started at x point while a different identity group started at y point yeah and you have to bear that in mind when mm-hmm. you're making these comparisons don't look at it through one lens. Oh my God, this is the main takeaway. <laughs> Hold your takeaways yes. for a second. Come on. Um, <laughs> we're going to explicitly cover something that we have slightly alluded to during most of this episode, which is how we can react when our own identities are threatened. Okay. Identity politics and other groups' identities and, and just a lot of things in the world might threaten your identity. We've touched on this already. And Neela, who is a friend of mine who spoke to us for this podcast, she very generously shared a personal example that I just think is a really honest way into this conversation. So Mm -hmm. I'd really like to share it with you. Amazing. there's this box where people share books in my neighborhood and they are the habit of the people in the neighborhood to leave stuff outside their home when they move away like furniture or bits and bobs and food so it happened to me quite often to bring stuff home but that day I passed next to this book box and there were food inside so there were eggs and stuff and I was just like okay so someone must have moved out and left the stuff and so I took it home and I emailed so the, the egg and I was like why did you buy eggs <laughs> this just make no sense we have plenty of eggs and it's true we have plenty of eggs but I was like okay eggs I love eggs I, I eat eggs all the time so I'm gonna just take them home and Emed was like oh you shouldn't have it this is for people that are in need and I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> and so the next day, I actually passed through the same book box. <laughs> and they have food again. And since then, there's food every day. So someone is definitely feeding the poor. And I definitely took something out of the, of the, uh, of the box <laughs> that was not... The people in need box. Yes, exactly. This was... <laughs> You know what I need. did? I, I took, I took from the. So it's it's exactly if you go into a supermarket and you take from the can that at the entrance, and you're like, oh, cool, free food. It's like, no, Nella, it's a collection box for uh, the food bank. Uh, it's like, okay, okay. Um, I I don't do that, obviously, but I genuinely think so at the beginning that it was for everyone to take, and I didn't want to admit I was wrong. <laughs> so it took me. Because when he because what happened is not that I didn't want to be wrong. It's just that when he said that, I felt like I couldn't possibly me, the person who actually ran a campaign during the summer for the food bank, I taken <laughs> something out of them, you know. And I was like, oh shit! 
and it hurt me in my value and it my I felt like a thief. I think that's so crucial. And thank you for sharing that because you're immediately making me think of the idea of, of cha- challenging someone that they have committed a, a racist action or done something that's anti-feminist when that could be, and especially the word racism or homophobia, like they might have real connections with the identity that someone has developed for themselves. You know, they those are words that can hurt a person who doesn't want to be associated with them and the the shame and the guilt is like visceral and can cause you to just be so defensive and the journey to accepting that you're wrong and then taking steps to rectify that that can be big yeah it's one of the biggest because you discover that you're not the person that you thought you were. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah. What did I do? <laughs> and, and, and what, what do I like, do now? And, and you know, like I found it quite funny in the end because it was a minor thing. I found it funny for me to have done that because it's so typical. And I, I, at the end, I was just like, I'm so cheap. In this case of racism and, and, and sexism or stuff like this, it demands a lot of effort but the thing that you get if you have to believe that the thing that you get out of it is bigger mm. the stick is yeah. more important so it's you, you you have to remove the ego out of it thank you nila that was cool. That was very cool. Yeah. Oh, the ego. Yeah, the ego for sure. She gets in the way. She does, doesn't she? What a cruel mistress she is. <laughs> no, she's not cruel. And the ego is a part of our identity. Yes, 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 yes. But, well, yeah, she gets in the way. Like, what do you mean? She makes us defensive. Yeah. She makes us uh, feel hurt. It's the part of ourselves (laughs) that needs validation or needs to be told that we're okay or Mm. needs to be loved or needs to be told that we're a good person Mm. and that can get in the way of in the example that you know Nina's just is admitting that she fucked up yeah and it was totally fine because she shouldn't fuck up in a malicious way no. It's actually hilarious. Well, yeah, it's actually, and she in the end found it hilarious, which is good. It's always good to be able to laugh at yourself. But, you know, that part of her that set up a food bank during the pandemic and wants to help people to then be the person that takes from them. <laughs> I know, you it's know. super ironic. But that, I just, again, I just think that's such a good example because it's like people who's, it's, you know, it's the argument of like, oh, well, I can't be sexist I have a wife or whatever or I have daughters or yeah it's like ah it's not doesn't exclude you from behaving in certain negative ways it doesn't exclude you intentionally yeah of course often unintentionally but it doesn't exclude you from probably having grown up in an environment that has certain values instilled in it I love the way that Nilla said about it hurt her and her value yeah 
I think that was just a really nice way of putting it. It's this stuff is the hardest. Yeah. When it's as in her example, intrinsically tied up with who you think you are, with mm-hmm. your identity. Yeah. That's so hard. It makes sense. Yes. It's okay. But it's still true. It's still a thing that happens. Mm-hmm. And I think it ties in with what we were talking about earlier with when something hits you very deep and very hard. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as you discussed with Neela, when it comes onto heavier subjects and someone feels like they are being accused of being sexist, of being racist, and they don't think that their values identify as those Not things. Not part of their identity. It, it's really painful for that person well, exactly. or really like, oh, what do you mean? That's a really big word to use against me. That No, I'm not that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, again, it, it, these are different examples, but I love Nelly's example because it's so, it, she explains it so beautifully. Mm-hmm. When her, so emailed her partner, when he said, you've taken from the box that was meant for, was meant to be a food bank, she felt like a thief, she yeah. said. And she doesn't identify as a thief. No. <laughs> That's not part of her identity. She identifies as a good person. She contributes to the food bank. She doesn't take from it. Yeah. How dare you accuse me of doing something like that? I absolutely didn't. And then she learned that she did. (laughs) And luckily, (laughs) luckily, it wasn't so bad. It was just eggs. But like, you know, it's it's okay. Like, oh, it just happens to everyone. I just really want to drive that home that that happens to everyone. And the important thing is not that you did or didn't do that thing. The important thing is, but you recognise it. That you recognise it. You recognise it happened and you're like, oh, that was a mistake. Yeah. Maybe I won't do that again. <laughs> and and I hope, I hope that that's useful to be seen in the wider context of everything that we've talked about because that relates directly to things like cancel culture. Mm-hmm. It relates directly to things like being called out. It relates directly to the groups that you feel like you're a part of, that you're mm-hmm. an ally with. Understanding all of this stuff will hopefully help certainly has helped and it's hard it's still hard but certainly helps ground me Mm. in thinking okay I feel like I'm a certain thing whatever I made a mistake I can't control how other people react to that mistake that I've made but I can understand my mistake in its own terms rather than in the terms that other people will then try and Oh, you should belong to that group. Oh, you shouldn't have said that. I mean, you're the worst. Yeah. You know, it's not easy, but yeah, all of this helps a lot. Wow. Okay. So I hope that what we have learned is that identity politics is not just yelling about oppression, it is about lobbying for meaningful change and seeing one's identity as related to the identities of others. To help me finish this off, we're going to come back to the Combahee River Collective, where we started, and more importantly, where the term identity politics started. So Excellent. here are some points from their 1977 statement. The paragraph in which they mention identity politics, it's within the statement. Maybe we'll highlight it specifically in the show notes. It's, it's a bit chunky. So I'm going to use a different quote, which I think says about 80% of what they say in that identity politics paragraph. So they say, if black women were free, it would mean that everyone else would have to be free. 
since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all the systems of oppression. So this is a word that amazingly we've gone all the way through an identity politics episode without mentioning, which is the word intersectionality. Mm-hmm. What does intersectionality mean? I keep testing it about stuff. I'm such a dick. I'm going to stop. I, do. I take that back. I take that back. I take that back. I'm an idiot. What does intersectionality mean, Lizzie? Oh, God. Don't... <laughs> I should have seen that coming. Um, okay, well, there's this essay. I can't remember the name of it, but it will be in the, the, it, the name of the title of it is to do with being a poor white person in America and still understanding that you have privilege. Yeah. And it's written by a poor white person in America. And they talk very particularly about intersectionality. Intersectionality is basically an understanding of your own identity in relation to other identities. So you can have one identity, but that doesn't exclude you firstly from having other identities and it doesn't exclude you from the privilege or lack of privilege that different identities can give you yeah so uh, an example of my intersectionality would be that I'm white Mm -hmm. and I have privilege I'm a woman and in that sense I might lack privilege compared to a man yeah those two things can exist at the same time I embody both of them Mm -hmm. neither of them are not true but without both of them there isn't a complete picture of my identity I yeah. suppose so intersectionality is understanding where we sit within a wider context of the identities of those around us as yeah. well as just within our own identity so what the Combahee River Collective is saying is if black women were free it would mean that everyone else would have to be free since our freedom would necessitate the destruction of all the systems of oppression so they're saying that in order to liberate all black women you would have to liberate let's say global majority members, you'd have to liberate females and female identifying people. You'd have to liberate everyone on the LGBTQ plus yeah. scale. You'd have to liberate all disabled people. Yeah. You know, it encompasses a lot of groups of people. Therefore, the Combahee River Collective organised for and supported any movement that played a part in dismantling any of the systems that oppress black women. So they got involved, they said themselves in their statement, issues and projects that collective members have actually worked on are sterilization abuse, abortion rights, battered women, rape, healthcare, the work being done and the countless issues that this work represents merely reflect the pervasiveness of our oppression. So basically having a sense of intersectionality means that lobbying for your own identity doesn't exclude you lobbying for other people's identities. This means that identity politics at its origin, at its core, in this statement, which arguably we've sort of lost touch with in current times, is not about saying, I'm over here and you're over there and each of us is going to fight our own corner. No, it is about lobbying for positive, meaningful change in our society. So therefore, if you don't require positive, meaningful change, then you don't have to lobby for your own yeah. identity. And I would just encourage everyone to think about their own definition of positive, meaningful change. So, for example, and I'm just going to use this example because it was mentioned earlier in the episode, if you are in an incel, a positive, meaningful change for you might be to get laid. But is that something that you can lobby for in a democracy, that you get laid? It's a question that I'm asking, you know? I feel like I have an answer to it. I would encourage everyone to think about their own answers. 
Positive meaningful change is about dismantling a system of oppression, not about dismantling pieces of inconvenience. And I'm going to take that further because the collective also asserts things about their methods. They say this in their statement. In the practice of our politics, we do not believe that the end always justifies the means. Many reactionary and destructive acts have been done in the name of achieving, quote, correct political goals. As feminists, we do not want to mess over people in the name of politics. We believe in collective process and a non-hierarchical distribution of power within our own group and in our vision of a revolutionary society. We are committed to a continual examination of our politics as they develop through criticism and self-criticism as an essential aspect of our practice. So crucial to identity politics is critical thought and self-reflection. And I'll say again, we do not want to mess over people in the name of politics. Yeah. So if you perceive that there is an identity, we've been over this already in this episode, but that is threatening your identity, whatever, think about what you know about positive, meaningful change. Think about what people are, think about what you're learning about society and its inequities. Think about why identity politics is created in the first place because there's an unjust system going on. That's the reason why we've already said that. And then think about where you sit within all of that and whether or not you are messing people over. Yeah. Okay, so I'll, I'll just leave it on the, the Combahee River Collective. Seriously, yeah. go read that statement. I don't think identity politics is problematic, personally. No. I think polarisation and blame games are problematic. And I think intersectionality is the answer. What do you think? I agree. Thank God we've solved it. Fixed it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any final takeaways? Oh, great question, Hannah. I think my final takeaway is that identity politics is about lobbying for positive, meaningful change. And when that happens for one group, it tends to happen for other groups in a democracy. Yes. That's how that logically functions. So, yeah, it makes sense more for it. What about you? Well, we already know what my main takeaway is, and that is do, do not, not look at things. <laughs> do not look at things through do one lens. lens. Look at them through many lenses. All right, time for a nap. Okay, thanks, Han. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. I think people now realise you have to cooperate in order to get whatever it is that you want, you know, which previously wasn't the case because no group had a voice, no group had formulated a coherent movement. And now these movements exist, it's inevitable. To survive, you have to listen. That was Eggshells. If you liked that episode, then tune into others about how to disagree better by visiting our website or searching for us on your podcast provider. Please like this podcast, give it a five-star review, and tell all your friends about it. Support for independent podcasts like ours is vital, and we hugely appreciate it. If you fancy getting in touch, we're at helloeggshells at gmail.com. We love a chat. Eggshells is hosted by me, Lizzie Bourne, and Hannah Leach. Our sound designer is Andreas Petru, 
and our music is by Willard Hill and Andreas Petru. Big thank you to Bex Arthur and Marcella Terrable, as well as all the beautiful guests featured on today's podcast. See you soon. <laughs>